Well, good morning, church. Uh, wherever you are gathered around your screens, join us for worship here at Lakeside. Uh, we wanted to try to put together a worship service for you today, and, and we were joking to, just a moment ago about what kind of things we would not want to include, like dismissing kids to children's church. That's probably not a good thing. Having you stand during the scriptures is probably a strange thing as well. Uh, but wherever you are, uh, we're pleased that you're joining us. Uh, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. Uh, it is our tradition here to be called to worship with the Apostles' Creed. And so wherever you are, I want you to join with me in professing our faith uh, together. Christian, what is it that you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Good morning, Lakeside. We are hoping and we are praying that all is well with your family. And um, even above that, that this is a fruitful time for your family in growing growing closer to Christ. Um, Just a a couple things to note. Uh, We're going to, there's been sort of called a day of prayer and fasting by a number of the Reformed Communions on Good Friday, April 10th, and we'll get more information about that to you, but Good Friday, April 10th, is going to be a day of prayer and fasting. Also, please, um, just by way of remembrance, um, be checking your website, uh, be checking the Facebook, be checking your emails as information goes out about the church. And um, I really do want to encourage you, uh, during this time, uh, to be lights to the world, Christ says to let our light shine in such a way that men give glory to our Father in heaven. And really, this is an opportunity for the church to shine. And so I encourage you, and whether you go out and you shop, and whether you're uh, talking to neighbors and, and just encouraging people, you know, maybe people at work, um, maybe more than just in the church, but maybe from people at work that you haven't seen and, 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 and other acquaintances and friends, maybe calling them, seeing how they're doing. And, and I really encourage you to say that, mention that um, you're going to pray for them. Uh, that has often opened sort of a door along the line of, of, of testifying and witnessing when, when, when you share with people that you're going to pray for them. And, and uh, they very often really uh, appreciate that. Wayman, the prophet Isaiah declares, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the prophets, a leader and a commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you. 
because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, your gracious calling to life eternal is always before us. We confess that all too often we desire that what that which is not life to the soul, our studied diligence is often devoted to that which is passing away. And yet, you give us the gift of repentance that we might possess the everlasting covenant, the steadfast and sure love of the Son of David, our Lord Jesus Christ. It is our first duty to give thanks in all things, to rejoice always, to move from fear to the fear of God and gratitude for your rich mercy. Father, make Christ the sure ground of our faith, the joy of our hearts. Replace apprehensions and fears with faith and confidence in the goodness of heaven in our lives. Father, we recognize our times are different. And yet, all things are from your hand, working in the mystery of your eternal spirit to conform us to Christ. Strengthen us to live in a manner worthy of our great calling, to know Christ better, to love your church, not looking to our own interests, but to those of one another, to exemplify Jesus, your true image and our true pattern. Lord, be merciful on your people, our community, and the world. Bring relief in the midst of our afflictions, comfort in our sufferings, healing in our pain, always repentance in our sins. These things we ask in the name of Jesus, our Redeemer, and the lifter of our souls, praying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The psalmist says, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. Because of your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Good morning to all of our Lakeside family and to all of our guests watching on, uh, on social media. Welcome to our worship service at Lakeside. Uh, 
It's funny, uh, watching myself on video last week, we are in a church that does that every week. We're learning how to do this every week, and, and it just seemed awkward last week just watching myself out there, uh, watching me preach to an empty sanctuary. Uh, I was wondering if, if Weston could maybe add laugh tracks to what we're doing here, just to make it uh, feel uh, just more encouraging to me. Uh, anyway, I hope you're doing well this morning. I hope that you've been doing your part to slow the spread of the coronavirus and that your family is, is staying healthy. We, we gather around our devices in order to gather around the Word of God. And, and many of us, are, we're beginning to kind of settle into this, this new kind of, of normal. Uh, we've been doing this social distancing thing for a while now. And while some people are, are really enjoying the slowdown... Some people are actually losing their minds. Some people are, are less equipped and less prepared to stay home all day. And so I wonder if you were to consider yourself, which category do you fall into? Are, are you loving the shutdown? Are you um, loving slowing down a little bit, uh, catching up on movies and catching up on sleep and, and not having to go into the office and not having to put on pants? Maybe this is where you live. This is a great place for you. Or are you one of the people who are absolutely losing their minds? You're missing your social interactions. You're, you're missing your routine. You're missing your people. You're bored to death. I think I'm kind of in the middle. On the one hand, uh, I, I think the slowdown has been good for my soul. Uh, but on the other hand, I, I was over the slowdown in about two days. That, that's about how long I needed to slow down, and, and I'm ready to go. Now I'm on the other side, and I'm continually wondering, what day is it? Uh, last week, after we've been recording these sermons on Saturday, which is really playing tricks with my mind. Because if you get up here, and you go through all this preparation and prayer to present the sermon, Saturday night in my head was Sunday night. And I went to bed, and I got up Sunday morning last week, and got, was really prepared to get up and go to the office Monday morning. And, and was laying there talking to my wife, and she said, I wonder if the sermon's up yet. And I was like, oh, it is Sunday. I was so confused. Is anybody else having trouble keeping up with what day it is? Um, some people are completely underreacting to this whole epidemic. They're continuing to, to act like nothing's changed. They're ignoring social distancing guidelines. They continue to go places and visit people like nothing has changed. And yet there's these other people who are, who are so worried and, and paralyzed by this whole thing that they're losing sleep and, and, and they're making themselves miserable. And last week we spent time reminding ourselves that God is completely sovereign over all this. That nothing happens in all of creation apart from God's will. And if God controls all things, and if, if we trust in God, then what are we worried about anyway? We've already been saved from sin and death, so whatever will be, will be, be at peace. Today I want to I pivot a little bit in our sermon series, Pandemic. And I wanted to begin to answer the question, how should a Christian live in the midst of a global pandemic? What should your life and my life look like if we're trying to honor Christ in this season? Join me as we try to answer that question together. In his 1948 book, How to Stop Worrying and Start Living, Dale Carnegie put into, into writing a phrase that we often use today. 
And you've, you've heard this before. If life gives you lemons, make lemonade. And it, it's now a great cliche. It, it, it's one of those sayings that is, is truly American. We all know it. When life gives you lemons, make lemonade. The idea is simple enough. Uh, when life gives you undesirable circumstances, such as the recent coronavirus, consider, is there a way to use these circumstances for something that's worthwhile? And I'm not making, I'm not making light of the, the global catastrophe at all. I'm not saying that the coronavirus is actually a good thing. It's not. It's, it's awful. Let's face it. The coronavirus is a big old sack of lemons. People are, are getting sick. People are dying. It's killing our economy. It's hard on our community. It's hard on small businesses. This social isolation leads to increased rates of depression and suicide. It's, it's no good at all. However, the question that I want to explore with you today is this. What opportunities are there for the Christian to make lemonade out of the lemons that we are currently being given? What unique opportunities do we have to honor Christ in the midst of this global pandemic? I want to suggest to you that the season that, that you and I are living in has afforded many Americans more free time than they might ever again have in their lives. Think about that. The season that we are currently in may be the season when Americans have more free time than they ever again will in their entire lives. Millions of people have been told to go home, to work at home if it's possible. Million Americans have lost their jobs. Millions of households across the country have slowed to a halt. And I recognize that like, not everybody has the same opportunity. Small business owners are still going in trying to make payroll. Healthcare workers are still on the front lines and as well as people in essential retail services like grocers are still out there uh, doing things so that you and I can still eat. But for a lot of people, we are finding ourselves with more free time. Because soccer's canceled. School's canceled. Bible studies are canceled. We're not spending time commuting into the office. Uh, we're, we're working from home. And, and even when we are, for many of us, our workload is diminished. This coronavirus is a big old bag of lemons, but this extra time might just be our lemonade. Time is the most precious of commodities, and many Americans aren't currently time rich. But this social distancing has us all a little confused on, on how to best spend that time, how to invest this newfound time that we have. How does a Christian Use extra time in isolation. What's the most profitable way for you to use this extra time alone? Well, you could probably watch hours and hours of pointless shows on Netflix. And yes, I've heard all about The Tiger King. It is a, it is a weird and, and very sad show, but it's apparently number one in the country on shows being watched on Netflix. This is how Americans are, are obviously choosing to invest their gift of, of extra time. You could spend extra time catching up on projects. I've done some at our house. Um, I also think our dog has lost about five pounds because we've been taking her on so many walks. 
I've seen pictures of families doing, doing puzzles. I've seen lots of creative videos online. Uh, people are working out the best they can how to spend this excess amount of time that they all of a sudden have. I want to suggest to you that in the Gospels, Jesus modeled the most valuable way to spend your alone time. Jesus would find ways to get alone with God the Father. I, I've had countless conversations with people in our church and, and outside of our church where people say to me something to the effect of, you know, I want to spend time reading scripture. I want to spend time in prayer with God, but I, but I just don't have time. And I, I used to believe people when they would tell me that. When they would say that they were too busy for time with God, and I would try to listen to them, and, and I'd try to give them ideas for, for how they could find little ways to work it in, how they could listen to Scripture in the car radio on the way to work, or how they could pray in the shower. But you know what? The, the closer I looked at people's lives, I realized that time was not what kept them from God. I could ask any one of you to pull out your cell phones and to Go to the, the place where it shows your screen time, the amount of time that you've been on apps or Facebook in the last week, and we could see hours and hours searching social media. Most of us don't spend time with the Father, not because of time, but rather we either forget about God, or, or maybe we're intimidated on how to approach God, or, or maybe we just simply don't value Time alone with God the Father. Why was it that Jesus valued time alone with God the Father so much? Time was not a commodity that Jesus really had a lot of. He only had three years of, of public ministry. That was all. It seemed that the shadow of the, of the cross was an ever-present reminder that Jesus' life on earth was short. But yet Jesus spent his valuable moments communing with the Father. In Luke chapter 4, after Jesus was baptized, he spent 40 days praying in the wilderness. He was preparing for, for a major task. He would, he would soon be tempted by Satan. And so for 40 days in preparation of this major testing event in his life, Jesus isolated and drew near to the Father. I wonder how many of us, you and I, uh, Think to draw near to God like, like Jesus did. Uh, before before like major events in our life, what, what, what do major events look like in your life? What major tests, major, major seasons? And what might it look like for you to draw near to God for a season? But Jesus didn't just draw near to God in, in this season of major events. Jesus would also draw near to God when he was experiencing grief or before he made major decisions, or in times of distress, or simply Jesus would, would focus on time alone with the Father just as a way of focusing on that relationship in prayer. And, and what I want to do today is I want to read together as a way of getting at that question, how are Christians supposed to live in the midst of a global pandemic? And I want to read together Matthew 14, 1 through 13, a time in which we read about Jesus experiencing major grief and spending time alone with the Father. So uh, let's read that together. But before we do, let's, let's have a, a moment of prayer. Father, we do come to you in the name of Jesus. 
And Lord, we, we ask you now that as we open up your word, uh, that, that you would be our, our guide, that you would allow it to unfold before us, that we might understand your truth. Father, we want to learn to love you and spend time with you. Bless us now in the reading of this word, we pray in Jesus' name. And all the church said, amen. Hear now the word of the Lord uh, found in Matthew chapter 14, beginning in the first verse. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus. And he said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He's been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work with him. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herodias' birthday came, excuse me, when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod, so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was sorry. But because of his oaths and his guest, he commanded to be given. He sent and had John the Baptist, uh, excuse me, he sent and had John beheaded in the prison, and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother, and his disciples came and took the body and buried, and they went and they told Jesus. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there to a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. Church, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. And this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Our text today in Matthew's gospel kind of unfolds like a, like a flashback. The story goes like this. At the end of, of Matthew 13, Jesus is actually preaching in his hometown of Nazareth. And as some of you remember the story, Jesus is in the synagogue teaching, and at first the crowd is, they're actually amazed by Jesus' wisdom. But then they seem to remember who Jesus is. They seem to kind of remember who his family is. They get real familiar with him all the time. And now all of a sudden, Jesus to them seems ordinary. And, and then they start, because he's so ordinary, to start taking offense at his words. How could this man that we've known all of our lives actually be a prophet? And this is where you get Jesus' famous words. Remember what he says? He says, a prophet is without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And the reader might start to think after hearing this that Jesus isn't very influential in his time, that he can go even into his own town and, and, and not make much of a buzz. But at that same time, we, we get to our next chapter, which we read to get together today, Matthew 14, 1. And in the very next word, or very next verse, we read that Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus. Now, Herod is also known as King Herod or uh, Herod Antipas. He was the son of Herod the Great. And Herod Antipas was a, was a powerful man. And he's concerned about these miraculous works of Jesus. He's concerned that Jesus has the power to perform these miracles. And the reason that it bothers Herod so much 
is that he knew another man who could perform miracles. A man by the name of John the Baptist that was Jesus' cousin and his forerunner. And here is why I say this story is kind of a flashback. If you look with me at verse 14 too, Herod says to his servants talking about Jesus, he says, this is John the Baptist. He's looking at Jesus and he's saying, this is John the Baptist. He's been raised from the dead. That is why these miracles are at work within him. So Herod thinks that Jesus is John the Baptist raised from the dead. And it bothers Herod because Herod had John the Baptist killed. And I, I for one, don't, don't really think he wanted to kill John the Baptist. Mark says as much in his gospel. I think Herod got himself in this situation where his, his pride really required him to kill John. Real quickly, here's why I say that. Uh, Herod himself was married, and, and he divorced his wife in order to marry the wife of his brother, Philip, a, a woman by the name of Herodias. And, and John the Baptist watched this happen, and he spoke out against their marriage. And he told Herod, you know, Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And evidently, Herodias, his brother's wife, who was now his wife, heard about this criticism, and apparently she harbored a grudge against John the Baptist, and she demanded that Herod would have John arrested, and she wanted John the Baptist uh, killed by Herod, but, but Herod wouldn't do it. He didn't want to kill John the Baptist. Uh, but then on Herod's birthday, he threw a big party to celebrate, and his new wife's daughter was there, and in honor of Herod's birthday, Herodias' her young daughter danced for Herod at this party, and it pleased Herod. And, and now, if you look at verse 7 and 8, here's what it says here. It says, Herod was so pleased that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. And prompted by her mother, she said, give me the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Herodias had an opportune time to get Herod to do the thing that she really wanted him to do, which was kill John the Baptist. And that's exactly what happened. A, a reluctant Herod killed a good man. And now, flash-forwarding back to the beginning of this story, when, when Herod hears about Jesus it, it, and he sees him doing these miracles, it's like an Alfred Hitchcock movie. Uh, he's haunted by his guilt, and he keeps seeing his victim everywhere. And, and there's where the story started. He sees Jesus and he, he sees a miraculous man. He thinks it's John, but it's not John. John is dead. His head was, was cut off in prison and brought to a platter to Herodias' daughter. And John's disciples came, and they, they took his body, and they buried it. And they set off to do that thing that no one really wants to do, which was to tell Jesus that someone he loved dearly had died. And in verse 13, we have Jesus' reaction. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. Jesus hears about the death of John the Baptist and he needs a little time alone with the Father. He needs a little social, a little social distance. And, and the crowds don't seem to get it. They, don't, they, don't, they seldom do, but... They're trying to chase after Jesus. Jesus need, just needs some, some distance. He needs to grieve. He needs to process what's just happened. He needs to commune with the Father. Maybe you and I need to learn something from Jesus. 
Something about social distancing. Maybe the social distancing thing isn't just about getting sick or not getting sick. Jesus seems to be an expert in knowing when to ditch the crowd and when to get alone with the Father. Jesus seems to model for us all a value in solitude before God. Jesus is alone before God before he faces trials. When when Jesus sends out the 12 disciples to do ministry, immediately upon their return, Jesus instructs them to find some solitude from the crowd and to rest. Jesus isolates himself from the crowd as he grieves in Luke 6 before he calls his, his 12 disciples. Jesus isolates himself up on a mountain all night. Uh, the disciples are about to be called, and Jesus knows that, that that's a big decision. He has to isolate himself all night, and he spends all night alone with the Father, praying socially distant from the crowd. And in, in the darkest hour of Jesus' ministries, in the 22nd chapter of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is at the Mount of Olives, and he knows that the crowd is coming And he knows that it's full of people who wish to do him harm and they are going to torture him and they are going to kill him and they are going to crucify him shortly. And he walks into the garden with his disciples and he waits for death and he waits to take upon himself your sin and my sin. Can you imagine the unbelievable burden of taking upon yourself the sin of the world? And Jesus has just a a few precious moments to prepare himself for what's coming, to get ready to face the cross and get ready to face uh, taking upon himself our sin. Then what does he do? Luke chapter 22, verses 40 and 41. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about about a stone's throw, and he knelt down to pray. Jesus tells the disciples, you stay here, you pray. And he withdraws from them to pray. We're not talking about the crowd here. We're talking about his best friends. He says, stay here. I need to be alone with the Father. When I was 19, I had the opportunity to do a, a ministry in, internship. I, I filled out an, an application in, 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 in Texas. I lived in, in Lubbock, and, and I had a, a friend who was a youth director, and he suggested that, that maybe this was a great opportunity for me to see if I had a call into ministry. And after I filled out that internship, it was kind of scattered to all these small churches throughout Texas. And I wasn't sure if I'd get any calls from any of them to go and do ministry, but I did. I got a call from a church in, in Port Arthur, Texas. And uh, it was the first time ever I'd worked for a church in, in, in ministry. And, and my, my folks helped me pack my bags, and I drove from Lubbock, Texas, uh, 620 miles to Port Arthur. That's a long way from home when you're 19 years old. It's not like you're just going to get up on Friday morning and drive the 10 hours home for the weekend and return back. 10 hours is a long way. The church I went to serve was great. Uh, I learned a lot about ministry and community, and they were gracious to me. They were, they were kind to me. Uh, one family even opened their home and let me live upstairs in their house. They were a couple in their mid-60s. They were always kind and generous to me. 
However, I don't think they ever ate meals. I, I grew up in a family where we ate these kind of big family meals. Like we all got around the bar. Uh, we, we had a dinner table that we never used, but we had a bar and we'd always had bar stools. We sat around the bar and, and ate a meal together every, every night, just about. And, and what I noticed, I was living with this family and, and, and they were great. They, they were generous to me, but, but they, I think the only time they ate is when they were standing up at, at five in the afternoon eating a bowl of cereal. And so I just didn't have any community there. I, I kind of had this time in my life where I found myself really lonely. I was a 19-year-old youth minister, and my, my choices for community at that time were going and hanging out with 14- and 15-year-old youth, doing ministry, taking them to bowl and do all that stuff. And at some point, yeah, that fulfilled something. And, and then on the other hand, I could hang out uh, with, with a community of 60-year-olds. And don't get offended. Be realistic. When you were 19, you wanted to be around 19-year-olds. That's where I was. I, 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 I wanted that peer community in my life. I didn't have any. I would go to restaurants and I would, I would eat dinner alone. I would, I would sit at a table by myself and, and I remember looking at all the other people and, 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 and kind of going, man, I, this is a weird time in my life. I would go to the movies alone. And listen, if you know me, you know I'm not programmed for that kind of isolation. That's not how, that's not how God put me together. At the same time, someone in my life gave me this, this little book on prayer. And I started for the first time to really learn how to pray. And what's, what's interesting is it, it's not really because I wanted that in my heart. That's my confession to you. I didn't learn to pray because, boy, I really, at this time in my heart, I really want to learn to pray. Rather, I learned to pray out of my isolation and out of my loneliness. But I can tell you that those were some of the, the richest and most joyful times that I ever had in my life with the Father. The lemons of my life were loneliness. The lemonade that came from this was this rich communion with the Father. It was a sweet time together. It was time redeemed in my life. What if God wants to redeem this current time of social distancing in your life? Let me suggest to you this. Jesus modeled for you a deep need for you to socially isolate yourself, and for you to spend time alone with the Father. And you could never seem to find time to do it. Well, guess what? Here you go. Many of us have found ourselves in a situation where we are forced to isolate. How dense would it be for us not to draw near to God? Don't miss this. It's important. Listen, we love our community. We love being together. But if you don't ever spend time alone with God, what does that say about your faith? The world stopped right now. The, the coronavirus is a big old bag of lemons. The lemonade is that you have time to spend with the Father alone. So, how will you spend your abundance of time this week? You can watch Netflix till your legs go numb. You can take four walks a day. You could learn uh, a new video game. Or you could draw near to the triune God. That's, that's your challenge this week, church. 
I hope you, you got a ch- chance this week to watch the Lakeside Livecast. Uh, it's still up on Facebook and it's up on YouTube. It's a, it's a live discussion panel addressing the gospel. It addresses missions and addresses our church family. Uh, and hopefully we'll be releasing more episodes as the days go on. Uh, our whole goal in that is that so you can kind of stay connected with your church family. But in your isolation, what's important today is that you draw near to the Father. Let's pray together. Father, I understand that you are jealous for us at times. Uh, you, you talk about your church as being your bride. Father, I understand that you have called us out of sin and death. Father, we praise you. We praise you for the cross of Jesus. Father, we find ourselves in strange times in the midst of this isolation. And while the coronavirus is in no ways uh, what we see as a really great thing, Father, there are some things that have come out of it that can be beneficial for the life of the Christian. That we might spend some of this slow down time with you, learning to pray well, finding what Jesus found in that isolation, communion with the Father, encouragement in our hearts, an understanding of the goodness and the grace of our Lord. Father, we pray all these things in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Church, wherever we have been on our devices, we have been the church gathered. Even though it seems funny that you're in your living room, uh, many more of us have been together. And so now uh, we'll be the church scattered. Um, Many of you are still going to be in your homes, but you have your family around. Be the gospel to them. Treat people well. Check on your neighbors. Go now and take with you the love of God, the grace of Christ Jesus' Son, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Until we meet again, amen.